As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, pushing the boundaries of credulity. In Copenhagen, not Copen Ten Hag's Man United, blow the lead twice at Parken. We dissect a multi-storey Parken trip and the rest of the midweek Champions League action. Meanwhile, in North London, call it post-cognitive dissonance, we look back on Spurs, Chelsea, the nine men, the five disallowed goals and a side so wedded to high lines Snoop Dogg might have been managing. Plus, if time, a line on Chelsea Man City and the weekend in prospect in the Premier League in this Totally Football Show. Thursday the 9th of November. Hello, listener. And hello, too, to Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. Tom Williams. Hello, James. And Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. All right. Nice, nice calm week, eh? Oof. Hey. What a, I mean, I can't remember the last time three or four days of football produced quite so much chaotic I mean, material. The fixture computer mysteriously gave us uh, Tottenham Chelsea in a week when it knew both teams weren't in Europe in a European week. Totally randomly, so that was good, and uh, and we progressed from there. Rafa, you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it very much, James. I always enjoy watching games in your company. Oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, we'll relive some of that action today. We're going to be talking about Spurs, of course. We'll not ahead too, as I mentioned, the action this weekend. But we're going to begin with the Champions League match day four, of course, Tuesday and Wednesday. So Real Madrid, Real Sociedad. Bayern Munich, Inter and Man City all booking their places in the knockout round with two games to spare. Meanwhile, Celtic, Benfica, Antwerp, Union Berlin, Salzburg, Young Boys and Svernus Fester all saw their qualifying hopes ended. Shakhtar Donetsk is still in it after they got a mighty win against Barcelona on Tuesday. Tuesday as well, Milan beating PSG and Dortmund doing the double on Newcastle to turn Group F upside down. Meanwhile, Wednesday in Denmark, the latest instalment of top-rating soap opera Man United, this chapter entitled, as per the Copenhagen pre-game banner, Theatre of Your Nightmares. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. at Parken. Only the second Maddest game 
of the week. Seven goals, one red card, 19 minutes of time added on, but an evening that started so well for United when things finally looked like they were going Ten Hag's way, falling apart in spectacular fashion. Rafa, you were kind of watching, I mean, we were all kind of watching this game on the goals show. Turning point, the red card. Yes. Yeah. But then it wasn't, in a way, because United copped really well and took the lead. Well, they didn't at first. So they go down to 10 men, but they were 2 nil up at this point. And the point we were making at the time was, you 2 nil up against Copenhagen, who haven't won a Champions League game in seven years. A little bit of game management, perhaps. Instead, 90 seconds later, they already let one back. And then Copenhagen get that penalty for handball. But as you say... United get a handball, a roughly equivalent handball penalty of their own, and uh, go back into the lead. Yeah, and, and they looked good in the second half, I thought. United, from what I could see, they seemed like pretty comfortable. They didn't play a high line. They were very organised. Copenhagen didn't really create much. But then they crumbled in the last uh, seven minutes. Mm. And I think that's the unforgivable bit in a, in a way. I mean, you will struggle against... 11 men, you will concede chances against Copenhagen side who, for for all the lack of results, have caused problems to all teams they play. They very nearly got something big from their trip to Galatasaray. They took the lead against Bayern. So they're, they're quite awkward. I think last year they didn't lose a single game at home. In they didn't the win stage. either, but yeah. Still. Hmm. So I thought United had done really well. It, it had sort of epic back to the wall, snatching a victory, headlines written all over it yeah. until they crumbled. They crumbled 3-3 and then 4-3 scored by a 17-year-old named Rooney. Remember the name. <laughs> named after? Yeah. Is he? Was he? Was yeah, he, he was. definitely? Yeah. Yes. Are you sure about that? Yes, his father was a big fan. Why didn't he spell way? it correctly then? Yeah, that's a good point. That's mm. a very good point. I think it's nicer this way though, isn't it? As a first name? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Rooney Bargy. And he looked brilliant. If his like, middle name was George, for example, just imagine he'd be RG Bargy. Anyway, he looked brilliant, Tom. RG, yeah, sorry, I had to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> but it does work. It does mm. work. Or yeah. Onion. Onion's That's, the obvious one, yeah. 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 No, he looked, he looked excellent. Um, and he is, he is obviously, um, you know, a very highly rated, highly rated young player. Uh, and he really brought something, a bit of dynamism to you know, what Copenhagen were trying to deal with it. And the first time he got the ball on the right-hand side, he sort of springs away from a couple of challenges and then blazes a shot wildly over the bar. And it was like, okay, well, here's a teenager getting a bit overexcited. But the composure that he showed for the winning goal was was exceptional. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of ironic that United ended up having yet another nightmare evening. Given the mockery that the, the TIFO that the Copenhagen fans had, had come up with uh, received, both in the stadium from the United fans because I think there was a chance of you know what the what the effing hell was that and then on, on social media and then what do you know it, it proved Garnatra quite as well. uh, Garnatra yeah. as well when they took that 3-2 lead United yeah, giving the, fateful the finger to the lips the fateful shushing yeah so that noise you can hear currently is Man United supporters saying what about the red card that was never red etc you very dutifully glossed over it to avoid a lengthy breakdown but some discussion probably warranted at the time, there didn't seem to be an appeal for it. And we were all a bit surprised when VAR said that they were checking an incident. When you see the slow motion under still, it looks very, very serious indeed. Rashford stamping on an opponent's ankle. 
But should it have been red? Rafa? I think it's hard not to give a red once you see it. It was easy not to see because um, it looked innocuous. Referee, I think, was unsighted. It happened in the corner. I think very few players had a clear view of it. That's why you didn't get any remonstrations, apart from possibly the man lying on the floor prostrate. The problem is that if you pull up sort of risky manoeuvres that involve putting your legs in the way of an opponent and they don't come off uh, because you don't protect the, wall, the ball as, as, as he's trying to do, you don't get your, your body between the opponent and the ball, but he actually just land on the opponent's ankle, it doesn't make a difference to him and his ankle whether you try to do it or not. And you cannot expect the referee to zoom into the mind of people to ascertain whether it was intentional or not because they might not look the same way or they might look the same way it cannot be a criteria for when a red card is a red card if you mm. do something that is dangerous and this is dangerous and you hurt your opponent then there's a big chance you'll get you'll get sent off for it and we might not like the law and i think mm. a lot of the reactions people are saying he shouldn't be sent off sort mm. of in an ideal world but i don't think the referee has any choice I think that was the issue with the reaction. I felt like there was a bit of a collective head loss over this in that as soon as you saw the replay, it was clearly a red card to me because, as Raf says, intent hasn't been part of the referee's approach to things for a long time. The, well, never. Well, ever. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Um, but I think the reaction was a kind of emotional reaction from fans who don't want to see an important player sent off, from ex-pros who wouldn't have been sent off for that in their day. But we all know how the rules work these days. So why do we pretend that we live in some kind of an alternate universe where things like this are now, uh, you know, uh, are tolerated? It was a, a moment where people wanted common sense rather than consistency. Yes. Yeah, one uh, of those. Yes. Classic. Units. But, but it was also Consistent quite, common sense, that would be the that's ideal. All we uh, ask for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was quite a... The United players, or I don't think I've ever seen a red card where everyone was either smiling or laughing before they were like, you know, it was a kind of, oh, this is ridiculous. But as you both say, it was, it's a red card. Copenhagen took advantage to come swarming back into the game, then United took the lead, and then Copenhagen ended up 4-3 winners. The second 4-3 that United have had on the road this season. United have conceded 11 goals in four games. And I think that is the story of the group stage. You cannot concede that many goals and expect to progress. I mean, they might still do it, but you have to defend better. Have they also conceded a penalty in every single Champions League group stage they have. game? And Although are that they feels such sort the of only team in the last 20 years to achieve that remarkable feat? Correct. It does feel less spectacular as a stat because you're almost now conditioned to a Champions League game having at least one penalty. Because hmm. UEFA are extra, extra... Mm officious when it comes to clamping down on handballs uh, the interpretation is much stricter than in the Premier League for example and unfortunately uh, they often find things uh, once mm. you start looking you find things and I can understand more the frustration with with the handballs in this game they were a little bit soft mm. um, very little distance between the ball and the, the offending arm um, and that's sort of the handball that I think really nobody wants to see. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are people at UEFA saying the more goals, the better. Let's let's find more goals. But I think that feels sort of unnatural mm. to be that strict when it comes to um, these situations. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think UEFA and the Champions League produce more VR incidents because they are trying to be 
uh, so we say the, the application of the rules is stricter and less sort of f concerned with free flowing and uh, and letting things go than in the, the Premier League and some others. Yeah, they did it in the Premier League in 2020-21 season at the start and we were on course to go over 300 penalties and then everyone went, hang on, hang <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, yeah I remember, yeah. So. Well done Copenhagen, right back in the qualifying mix. They move level, in fact, with Galatasaray by an already qualified, already guaranteed top spot with their 12 points from this group. Then you've got Galatasaray and Copenhagen on four points and Man United on three. Next time, in three weeks, Match Day 5 sees United heading to Istanbul. Ooh. And then they host Bayern, who already qualified. Hmm. Who's getting out of the group? Bayern, I think. I think <laughs> you think? Beyond that. I mean, United on paper should be capable of going to Galatasaray and beating Galatasaray, but mm. something tells me they might they might not. Well, then the, the last game, being against a Bayern team that's already qualified, Rafa, how much will they will, will Bayern be committing to that game? It's United. It's Harry Kane against United, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, the problem is for United, they might be out by that point. Because if they lose against Galatasaray, that's it. If they are still alive in this group, then I think they have a decent chance because... The way things are going with a squad very thin, Thomas Tuchel might rotate a little bit for that game and might not take it that seriously. It doesn't strike me as the kind of coach who's really concerned with setting new records in the group stage or equaling other records when it comes to maximum points and this kind of stuff. Uh, the squad is thin enough as it is. And uh, with uh, two weeks to go at that moment until the end of the first half of the season of Bundesliga, he might just think, you know what? Hmm. let's rest a couple of players but as you say the die may be cast in Istanbul two weeks before that I mean a bit like not putting your best penalty taker on the fifth penalty don't put United Bayern on match day six because if both are out it could be the, the worst clash between them ever just a Carabao Cup match essentially you were talking about the fixture computer my conspiracy theory and I really do not subscribe to many of them is that they do that on purpose to give the two top-seeder teams a maximum chance of, of going through. Hmm. Finish on a positive, Tom, for the United? Yeah, Rasmus Hoyland, another two goals in this Champions League campaign. He is joint top scorer with Alvaro Morata. Um, and I think this was one of the big frustrations for United, was that they started the game so well. Hoyland puts them ahead in the third minute with a really nicely constructed goal. Aaron Wan-Bissaka down the flank to Scott McTominay, who squares it for Hoyland, scoring the kind of goal that he was signed to score a little six-yard box tap-in, second goal, and actually scoring that first goal enabled United to then play on the counter-attack, which is what they are you know, much more comfortable doing than playing the more progressive football that Eric Ten Hag might want them to play. Um, and yeah, second goal from a counter-attack, Bruno Fernandes releases Garnacho, who probably should have passed, but who ends up supplying an assist because his shot is parried and Holland gets another tap-in. And then, yeah, the Rashford red card sort of shifts the dynamic and, and United failed to react to it. And I, th and I think there was a feeling that Ten Hag's decision to take Hoyland off when he did backfired. He was starting to look a little bit tired, but he was replaced by Mason Mount and it just meant that United had no kind of out ball whatsoever. So and that's that was how they the second up. turning point? What, I mean, there were probably about 17 turning points okay. in this game. But I mean, that was one But they the were ahead 3-2 and then there was this last Copenhagen comeback. Was there anything... 
specific that led to that shift? Because we were we were dipping in and out of the game, but it looked like United were in control even with ten men. Until yeah, I that mean, last fifteen. Hoyland went off just after the the Copenhagen equaliser. I think the the biggest issue with the the last two goals that United conceded was just like glaring mistakes. Mm. So the first goal stems from this kamikaze back pass that Aaron Wambisaka fires into Andre Anana at like chest height that Anana can't really do anything with. Mm. And from the subsequent throw-in, I think it was. It's a corner, I think. From uh, there, yeah, yeah, they score. And then Rafa Varane again on the bench for the third game running who came on in, in place of the injured Johnny Evans. Right is presented with a fairly simple ball to control by Harry Maguire and somehow allows it to just spring up at him uh, like a kind of over-exuberant, you know, family pet. Yeah, a Labrador, uh, perhaps. <laughs> a Labrador, say. Concedes possession and then, yeah, within a few seconds, Copenhagen hmm. have scored the winner. Diego Dallo not covering himself with glory on either of those as well, I think. No, he hmm. did not. So, and, so, on the one hand, some promise in attack, the turning point of the Rashford red card, but ultimately, once again... United's failure to handle positions where they're being put under pressure. And that was the problem in the closing minutes of the first half uh, when Copenhagen you know, were allowed to come back into the game and equalise and then in the closing minutes of the game itself where Copenhagen won it. All right. Well, there you go. Ten times ahead for Ten Hag. And next up, let's catch up with the other midweek headlines. Before you get back to this Athletic podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by The Athletic every week? I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Elsewhere on match day four, routine win for Man City. They're through, as we mentioned before. Arsenal beating Sevilla. They now need just a point from their last two games. 
Saka scoring one, setting up the other, but then maybe going off injured. We'll get more from our Emirates correspondent, Duncan Alexander, later on. Rafa, Group F for effing exciting. Saw yet more drama first on Tuesday. Newcastle losing at Borussia Dortmund. Thoughts? Well, Dortmund were good. Second time running in, against this opposition. They surprised us all with their performance at St. James's and perhaps surprised a few others as well after bouncing back from that 4-0 defeat at home to Bayern to beat Newcastle again. And a lot of people in Germany who haven't seen much of Newcastle were very disappointed mm. over the two legs because they fought the fourth best team in, in England uh, in, a group, in, a, in a league as good as the Premier League. They should be offering more, but they had not a lot going for them, really, well, especially going forward. As well. that, that is, of course, true. But had, had it been somebody else rather than Joe Linton with that chance, maybe. Maybe, maybe. No, the, the injury problems uh, are well documented, but, you know, a lot of teams have injury problems and you need to have a squad big enough if you want to fight on uh, all four fronts mm. as far as they're concerned. But no, I mean, Dortmund, I think we have to give them some credit because they defended really well, which has not always been their forte. Uh, yet again, did not concede a goal. And played with some real conviction mm. and took their chance really well. Uh, it was a great goal for Brandt. The first one was a bit lucky with the way it was sort of constructed or came about in the box, but great finish from Niklas Füllkrug. Bundesliga and top scorer last season, just getting this stat in with 16 yeah, goals. A joint top scorer All right. with a chap called Christopher Nkunku, who I think is going yeah. to be an absolute revelation once he starts playing for Chelsea. Okay. Uh, but it's interesting, six, 16 goals enough last year to get you the... Torschutz and Koenig title. title. Or uh, Toyiga Kanone, that's <coughs> the actual trophy. That's the one. That's Kanieri, I call it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And Harry Kane's already on 15. I think he's going to smash Furkruz's record from last year. Mm. I got a feeling. Got a hunch. But he's already halfway to... Is it Gert Muller's record of 30 goals in a, a debut Bundesliga season? Wow. And he's already halfway there, and it's not even mid-November. It's just madness. Just madness. The Borussia Dortmund fans, with a big message for UEFA pre-game, you don't care about the sport, all you care about is money. And then throwing kind of facsimile gold bars at the, uh, at the pitch. Yeah, they were not real gold bars. Not real gold bars. No. But um, also some nice scenes because the Newcastle fans held up a banner mm. thanking uh, Dortmund for charging them less than £20 for a ticket. Change from £20. Thank you, BVB. Yeah. And then Dortmund, uh, in turn, thanked them for being good sportsmen and being very nice to them. And oh, then they nice. all watched Alfie the same pat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Well, so the, the, hmm? the bottom line is that Dortmund now have their fate in their own hands as right. it were one win from the next two games would be enough so that's either away to Milan or at home to PSG and if you told me James yes before this group F had started that Dortmund might actually win it of course it's not done yet they might still get knocked out I would not really have believed it but I would I would advise on waiting a little bit longer two match days ago it was Newcastle who were top yeah. two match days later they're bottom there are two match days still to go a lot can change next time out Newcastle will be going at to PSG they're at PSG mm. and Dortmund will be at Milan Milan who themselves produced a pretty remarkable performance on Tuesday 
at home to Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain had beaten them 3-0 at the Parc des Princes two weeks before. Milan famously had not scored a single goal, not only this year in the Champions League, but for their last five Champions League encounters. They went behind here to that goal from Milan Skriniar. So, yeah, yeah a Milan opening the scoring. Yeah. Nice. But then, remarkable, Rafa Liao, and then the magnificent Olivier Giroud. Perhaps the real story of this game, though, a breakout performance for Milan for um, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Well, L'Equipe uh, compared him to prime Patrick Vieira Did in they? their report on the game. So they were very impressed. They were much more impressed with him than they were with any of PSG's players. Right. What, what else did they say, Tom? Well, I think the, the feeling from the sort of French perspective is that this was another example of PSG just failing to raise their level in the Champions League uh, in that after getting thrashed at Newcastle, they went on a run of five wins in all competitions, which included that 3-0 win against Milan in, in the reverse fixture. Looked like they were starting to make a bit of progress and get into grips with this slightly peculiar hybrid 4-2-4-4-3-3 system that Luis Enrique has introduced. Obviously took the lead uh, with that Schwinniar goal uh, at San Siro. But a recurrent theme with PSG has been that although Luis Enrique spends a lot of time talking about control, they have these extremely kind of open matches very often. And that was the case, particularly in the first half here, end-to-end. And, you know, Milan equalised, Rafael Leao, overhead kick, I think three minutes after PSG had gone ahead. And then Giroud, you know, scores the winner five minutes into the second half. And, and, and PSG just never really felt, despite having a lot more of the ball than their opponents, which is another recurrent theme of their matches, they didn't ever really seem to be fully in control of the game. And it puts them at real risk of, of being eliminated in the group phase. Um, and the talk at PSG prior to the start of the season was that the Champions League was no longer an obsession. It's no longer the thing that drives the club. What's most important is finding a style of football that the fans really enjoy, where the players think they can express themselves, getting rid of all the big egos, blah, 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 blah. But I think if they were to go out in the Champions League, having spent as much money as they did over the summer, it would be a new low point uh, on the very long list of Champions League low points in the Qatari era. Mm. The the group stands with Dortmund on seven points, PSG on six, Milan on five and Newcastle on four. So only three points off top spot themselves. Elsewhere, Group H sees Shakhtar Donetsk back in the mix. They're three points behind the joint leaders Barcelona and Porto after beating Barca on Tuesday. 1-0 Adam Crafton saluting Shakhtar who, as he points out, beat the Catalans with a lineup of nine Ukrainians, a Georgian, and one 18-year-old Brazilian. Only four of the Ukrainians started a game for their country during the last international break. Spectacular upset, and that's before you remember they're functioning in a war. Barcelona only had one shot on target in that game. Better was to come from other Spanish sides midweek. Real Sociedad, who beat Benfica, the hapless Benfica, I think, 3-1. Colin Miller equally pointing out that... uh, Boss Imanol Aguacil has been the coach, youth coach at uh, Real Sociedad for seven years and six of their 11 in this game played under him in those youth sides. Nine other youth graduates of the club's academy on the bench. Very special sporting institution. But Atletico Madrid, meanwhile, Tom, did you see this? The 6-0 against Celtic? Uh, I saw all the goals, Mm. yeah. Antoine Griezmann with a double, pulling the strings. He's now five goals away from becoming 
Atletico's all-time top scorer. But whose record would he beat? Oh, uh, is it Luis Aragonés? It is indeed Luis Aragonés. Yeah. Well, plenty happened in that game. Much of it Atletico scoring, but there was also an early and possibly very influential red card, which saw uh, Dyson Maida sent off. Rafa, Tom and Duncan just reviewing this now, giving it our own little VAR. It's a definite red card. Definite red, they say. Duncan? Well done, boys. Good process. Thank you very much. <laughs> Give okay. me another angle. Hold on, hold on. Also... Hold on, Dunks. Let me see it again. <laughs> also hold it. Delay, week. delay. He's done him. He's done him. He's done him. Ah, f- <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I can do now. A quick word, Rafa, on another of the big surprises, which was Italian champions Napoli, who had what looked like the one of the easiest games of the midweek, taking on an Union Berlin side who only lose 12 straight games in all competitions, lost every single one, hadn't scored in the last five, was it? Something like that. I mean, every yeah. bad thing has to come to an end, James, well, I'd like to believe. And mm. that terrible run of 12 games uh, of consecutive defeats came to an end. Yeah. A one, uh, they one snatched draw. a draw, yeah, and they actually deserved it as well. Okay, they Played decently them. in the second half, good counter-attacks. Chelsea, future legend... David Fofana hmm. with a goal. Very happy for Union. The Italians less delighted with the result. Yeah. It's one of his papers all. Here we go again, Rudy Garcia. The owner was in the dressing room after the game. Does that strike you like a good fit, in Napoli and Rudy Garcia? Yeah. James? Yeah. Well, maybe some changes there soon. We shall see. With that, the state of play in the Champions League, and we'll, we'll return to the Arsenal game against Sevilla a little bit later on and next up let's move on to the Premier League and ooh Monday night's action at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Hello listeners Danny Kelly here host of The View from the Lane your dedicated Spurs podcast from The Athletic myself Charlie Eccleshare James Moore and Tim Spears are with you twice a week every week this season as we bring you all the news and views you could ever possibly want from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. James, Sterling's in here, Jackson's with him, Raheem Sterling, Jackson scores, at last! Finally they track the code! Premier League, just three points separating the top four now, City, Spurs, Liverpool and Arsenal, after Monday's happening at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which, in the words of Peter Drury, not usually want to do the overstatement, Push back the boundaries of credulity. Two sent off, five disallowed goals, 21 added minutes. Spurs won, Chelsea four. It was madness. And in the days that followed, 
as pundits stumbled through the debris, bewildered, the kind of whispered notion that circulated amongst them was that Spurs, who lost, actually came out of the game with lots more credit than Chelsea. Hmm? I'm not sure I'd go quite that far, but I mean, I think you have to... I think you have to give Spurs credit for the role they played in turning the game into the ridiculous spectacle that it became. In that, I think first half, with the stoppages, the disallowed goals, the red card, the penalties, etc., I find myself thinking, this is like a stupid game of football. Like, this is a farce. Mm. But then the second half was so ridiculous Mm. that it was one of the greatest things I think I'd ever seen. And just the spectacle of this... Very important game between two of the biggest clubs in the land in the biggest league in the world at the heart of this billion-dollar industry basically boiling down to a running race mm. from the halfway line between the, the Tottenham Rumble defenders sprint challenge too. and the Chelsea attackers. And for about half an hour, that's what it was. Yeah. And you just thought, if, if Chelsea can time a through ball and a run here, they right. will score a goal. And yeah. they just couldn't well, for the couldn't. longest time. And it was absolutely to put some, sensational. To put some numbers on that, in the Premier League since 2018-19, basically Spurs allowed nine high through ball attempts in, in that period. Um, no other team has done more than three in, in, in that scenario. So it was, you're right, it was just, it was mad. It was like the world's most expensive game of what's the time, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> yeah. And eventually, Nicholas Jackson uh, knew what time it was. It was hat-trick yeah. time. Is right. that um, the English equivalent of Ox am Berg? I'm not sure. How do you tell play? us about, tell us about how Ox am Berg... Mr. So you face the wall, yeah. Yeah. and every time you face the wall... The other Children players can, can come right. forward. Also yeah. known as grandmother's footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on, you know, what kind of family you have, I yeah. guess. A bit more exciting if it's a wolf rather than yeah. your grandma. Well, as I say, it depends, it depends, it depends on your grandma then, and your relationship yeah, with yeah. her, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, but it had that, um, maybe is a very apt um, comparison because it had that kind of childlike, mm. crazy, lots of people making bad decisions mm. uh, vibe to it. Um, right. And that's why I think it's very hard to ascribe any team um, a particular uh, amount of credit because Spurs were ridiculous I mean I'm not talking so much about the tactical lineup you can you can choose your poison against uh, 10 men when you're only down to 8 but the two sendings off are just insane and Udoki should have already probably been sent off earlier for absolutely crazy challenge which I haven't seen I think in 20 years mm. in the Premier League mm. Particularly when they started the game so well. The first part of the game was all really down it, the Spurs end until the action shifted a little bit to the Western Stockley Park. But well, yeah, but as Raph said, the, the game literally changed after that tackle. That was what sort of fired Chelsea up. And a man called Destiny changing the course of the game, etc. and so on. But yeah, it was a, basically Spurs could have gone 2-0 up. Some was narrowly offside. And if that had gone in, you could. I think Spurs might have won four or five, and it was. It did. It changed in that mad couple of minutes. Okay, you had uh, that tackle. Then you had Sterling, who looked like he'd equalised, but that was disallowed. Then Caicedo scored, but then that was disallowed. But then they went back and said, no, actually, that's a Romero red, and it's a penalty now. And this time, Cole Palmer does score. But we're not done with the Stockley Park action because then uh, Nicholas Jackson scores, but that's disallowed, and then towards what should have been the end of the first half, kind of 42, three minutes, you get both uh, James Madison and uh, Van der Ven going off injured. Then uh, the second half, 10 minutes into that, you get the second red. 
Yeah, so this is when it, it sort of went full on through the looking glass. Uh, Udogi, who's already been booked for that appalling two-footed lunge on Raheem Sterling in the first half, gets a second yellow. Spurs find themselves down to nine men, having also lost Madison van der Ven. And that's the point at which they take up permanent residency on the halfway line. And then it's just, OK, Chelsea, let's see what you've got. The beauty is the commentators say, well, Spurs have been very, very brave with 10 men, but now they'll have to shut up what's left of the shot. No. Cue, <laughs> oh, cue the charge no, of the light brigade. It's not the, what they well, do, mate. It's interesting because obviously we've already seen Liverpool go down to nine men at that stadium this season. And they mm. went for the other approach, which is, you know... Slightly more conventional. But that didn't work either, eventually. So, I mean, it, it was refreshing. You know, it was, everyone's kind of gone, oh, yeah, Postacoglu's got this, these principles, but there must be a point at which he abandons them. <laughs> well, how oh, close yeah. did it come to paying off? You had, it was not until the 74th Eric, minute that, that, that Chelsea went ahead, and then you had that massive chance. You had the Eric Dyer, Dyer disallowed goal. Disallowed you had the goal. Sun chance post-90 minutes to make it 2-2. What added to the drama as well was that when Chelsea's forward players kept being called offside, it was predominantly Nicholas Jackson and Mikhailo Mudrik, who were two players who we know are desperate for form, desperate for goals. I mean, any player running through wants to score, but these two really, really and needed to score. <laughs> and but, like Mudrik's one of the fastest yeah. players I've ever seen. He was he was more offside than anyone. There's that one particular still that I think Jamie Carragher posted on Twitter. And uh, one of the Chelsea defenders is about to clip a pass over the top. And Mudrick is already 10 yards offside. And Jackson's about five yards offside. It was I mean, extraordinary. To be fair, I think coming up against this kind of uh, high line with two men up probably scrambles with a kind of... Mm. All uh, your learned behaviour. Yeah, mm. because it's just nothing that you'll ever mm. would have ever experienced before and probably will never uh, experience before. And admittedly, I, I mean, Chelsea did a lot of stupid things and didn't cover themselves in glory. And I was really tempted to write this. is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. Luckily, I... I um, held it in, as drafts. it were, right. yeah. um, to uh, no not to expose myself to to more more criticism than usual. But um, they, yeah, they they took a long time to figure out the way to beat this. Uh, How to get through this trap, partially open door, which was <laughs> this, this huge exhaust pipe. Yeah. The size so, yeah. Uh, and when they did go through and were on side, there was one man there who was pulling off incredible saves, Vicario. Yeah, one of the, one in particular where he kind of dives forward and out, yeah, and it's amazing. just. I mean, he's been he sprints forward. To yeah, make that as and well. I mean, he's arguably been the best keeper in the Premier League this season. And this game, you know, he probably one of the few players to come out of this game with credit, really. So credit after this game, as mentioned, there is this notion that Spurs go away. They went out in a blaze of glory. There's much for them to be proud of. Many positives to take forward. That they were the real winners, and I guess. <laughs> By the same token, Chelsea, although 4-1 victors, are the real losers. What, what, what do we think? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think there are any winners from this game, apart from the watching audience who saw probably one of the top five games in Premier League history in terms of just sheer... Yeah. And also, when do you watch a football match and think, I've never seen such a thing you, in my life? You can judge it by... People were saying... Like on Twitter, people like this is like what Twitter was like ten years ago because it was everyone was so engaged with it. You know, there were five disallowed goals in the match. It was it was just mad. But we should also mention that for those at the game, it was a bit of a nightmare because right. they had 
no idea what was going on half of the time. When the Sterling goal was ruled out... Are you talking about the Chelsea forwards? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, when the Sterling goal was ruled out, and they also then checked the possible red card for the Beckham flick from mm. Romero... I know from people texting, um, they just had no idea. And I think all the enjoyment that we had sitting mm. at home, unfortunately, only a fraction of that was was enjoyed by us in the stadium. And I think that is, that is a bit of a shame. Um, and I think it should be communicated a lot clearer at the very minimum to, mm. to inform people why things are stopping and why we have to play 57 minutes yeah. In the first half. That's one reaction. Uh, Postacoglu had another one afterwards suggesting that uh, VAR was not something that that really has a place in the game. At least that's the way I interpreted his comments. If for all the pride of their performance and how close they came to actually getting something from this game, those two late, late goals from Nicholas Jackson uh, really rounding out the score, Tottenham essentially lost a game that they started really well, lost two of their best players to injury and lost another two to ban. So they'll be facing... Who they Wolves facing? away. Wolves away this weekend without three... From what's their... the time, Mr. Wolf? To <laughs> 12.30 on Saturday, yeah. Yeah, well, that's going to be an interesting Tricky, clash. tricky. Mm. And Wolves have beaten Man City at home, notably this season. So They had Neto then. They did have Neto. They yeah. did have Neto. As for Chelsea, they this weekend... Having beaten one Premier League lead leader on Monday, must try and beat another Sunday at 4.30 at Stamford Bridge. A rematch, of course, of a big Champions League final not so long ago. They've met plenty of times since then. In fact, they met four times in the course of last season. Man City won every single game and I think didn't concede a single goal. Is that right? So will this be any different? I mean, probably not. In the sense that City, I think by common consensus, haven't you know, really hit their straps yet. And yet they are top of the league and they're the top scorers and they've got the best defence in the country. And Haaland started banging in goals for fun again. And they're into the last 16 in the Champions League without really breaking sweat. And there is just this sort of uh, this feeling of inevitability about, about City. They did lose John Stones, unfortunately, midweek. They did, which is mm. obviously you know bad news for City, mm. bad news for him. Um, you know, Rob's England of a, of a key player, but he hasn't really played much this season anyway. So I don't think True. you can say that they will necessarily miss him. You know, the, the squad is is so deep. It's just such a kind of well constructed machine. And I found myself thinking this, you know, watching the highlights of the game against Young Boys in midweek. I mean, Young Boys didn't have a single shot. And this is theoretically one of, you know, uh, part of the European elite. They didn't have a single shot. They didn't force a single corner. City could have won eight or nine nil. In the end, you know, three nil probably flattered young boys quite a lot. And this is, you know, this is just what City do. They kind of quietly, remorselessly crush everything in their way. Even um, without Rodri. Even without Rodri. Uh, yeah. yeah. Scary stuff. Yeah. He will definitely be back for Sunday. That's for sure. I mean, what I would say for Chelsea is that their problems against uh, eight-man Spurs, notwithstanding, eight outfield players. I'm getting the sense from watching them that things are beginning to click. Hmm. I thought that the pressing, yes, can be a little bit ropey, but at least the players are all trying to do what Pochettino is, is telling them. I thought that they looked good on the break against Arsenal, where they were perhaps a little bit unlucky 
to uh, not win the game. And I think they can make this a pretty even and, and interesting game. They're clearly not the finished article yet, but I'm beginning to get the feeling that no matter how many players are being chucked at Pochettino, his coaching is beginning to prevail and to make some order out of the mess and madness that is endemic at Stamford Bridge. 2-2 it finished at that ground against Arsenal and a 1-1 equally at Stamford Bridge against Liverpool back on the uh, opening round of the season. So arguably against the, the, the stronger sides, the leading sides, they fare better, but... Mm. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've saved their best performances in the league, at least for games against the top sides. And when they've come unstuck, it's been against, you know, I mean, losing at home to Brentford in their most recent home game at a time when we thought they might have turned a corner. But there is at least, as Raf was saying, there's, a, there's more of a sense of stability now in terms of the starting 11, that midfield trio of Caicedo and uh, Fernandez and Conor Gallagher looks pretty settled. Cole Palmer, Cole Palmer's is, been is, great. And is, he's, you know... Yeah, and he's, he's playing... He's, he's got, got a message to send. And he's against his former club. I think he's playing a much oh, bigger yeah. role than a lot of people mm. perhaps anticipated when he arrived at Chelsea in the summer. You know, Raheem Sterling is... is Has he got a message to send as well? May also have a message to send. Mm. So, yeah, I, you can see the direction of travel. And um, Rhys James is back. And Rhys James all, is back, which makes a yeah. huge difference. So, so I think we've talked ourselves into, into a, a resounding win, Chelsea win, which will almost wow. certainly not happen. Cat among the pigeons, if so, as it stands, Man City on 27 points, Spurs a point behind, and then two points behind them, three from Man City, are Liverpool and Arsenal. This weekend, see Spurs, as mentioned, taking on Wolves Saturday lunchtime without a whole host of players. Look out for Huang Hee Chan, who's been involved with eight goals this season, scoring and assisting, or assisting rather, in each of his last five games. Liverpool, meanwhile, will be hosting Brentford that Sunday at two o'clock. The Bees... Haven't won at Anfield for 86 years. However, they are on a three-game winning streak and they haven't made it four top-flight wins in a row in 84 years. So what does that mean? I don't know, but we may find out <laughs> Sunday. Uh, Liverpool, of course, will have had a trip to Toulouse in the meantime this Thursday evening as we record where they're looking to maintain their 100% record in the Europa League. As for Arsenal, well, we'll talk about them after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 9th of November. Do you know what uh, happened on the 9th of November many years ago? Roy Keane. Ah. Ah, yes. Roy Keane inventing the term Mm. prawn sandwich brigade. Although he didn't say brigade. (laughs) Yeah. It's a bit like, alas, poor Yorick. Mm. 
But he said uh, they have a few drinks and probably the prawn sandwiches and they don't realise what's going on out on the pitch of people who hadn't taken their seats for the second half. This became prawn sandwich brigade and for ages was one of the go-to phrases to describe the metamorphosis of the at least the kind of football consuming public i'm not sure if people use prawn sandwich brigade i think brigade you anymore. still hear it i think if uh, i think if you're looking for a kind of you know knowing mm. reference to the corporates right and the hospitality boxes you might get a you might, but it was you might get a, a very, cheeky prawn sandwich reference. it was always a very strange example i don't you can get a prawn sandwich in a really bad garage on any road in England. It doesn't seem like the most opplulent food. But in yes. the Keen household, I guess. Man, those prawn sandwich days, you, not, you look so, forward to them. Does it not refer to the fact that it, it's a slightly effete in terms of your. In terms of the food that you choose, it's Going not a man sandwich, sandwich James, James, is it? Yeah, what's that's what what's I mean. a, it's not, not a, a man. Pie. What's a manly sandwich? Well, a pie. This isn't me. Saying a man it. sandwich is, a, of, is two slices well, of bread with a yeah. pie in well, the middle. Well, that's a wig and kebab. That's well, they, well, there you go. So, Case close. Yeah. Rafa, did you struggle with the term prawn sandwich brigade when you arrived here? Is there any equivalent? The Dortmund fans, for example, uh, who were protesting against UEFA, do they have a similar? So yeah, the idea that uh, that prawns um, are sort of uh, not befitting for real football men is widely spread. In in Germany, twenty years ago, Uli Hoeneß was complaining that players weren't professional enough. He said, thirty minutes after the final whistle, they're already playing cards again, and having jokes and eating their scampies. And I have a sleepless night. And I've had a sleepless night. Yeah. So. I've I guess, had a sleepless night after eating. Scampi. I guess prawns are sort of the uh, they they epitomise sort of a laissez-faire, don't really care about the game kind of attitude. Right. And Bayern famously, or perhaps not so famously, tried very hard to sign Roy Keane at one point, what, but it fell through. What would have happened? I don't was know. it the scampi? He heard about scampi. I, I don't know. I don't it. know, but it would have been very interesting. He was poised, pen in hand, and the odour, the unmistakable prawny odour of a plate of scampi drifted into the room. And I think a lot there. of people don't realise scampi is prawn. It, I did. I was just going to ask, what really? is scampi? What would it be? Well, if scampi it was is not shrimp. Prawn? Shrimp yeah, and prawn. Prawn's a bigger shrimp. I say this because I told someone a few months ago that scampi was battered prawns and they, they blew their mind what did they think it was I'm not sure they Magic were like the, goo well I thought it was just I mean, kind scam- of general crustacea kind mm, of bits I mean to be accurate scampi and scampi are shrimp and prawns are gamberoni because they're bigger well in Italian yeah yeah well, but, but, in the, but, but here Italian. I think oh, yeah. prawns <laughs> prawns cover the whole gamut of yeah. size yeah yeah it's kind of a catch-all term for okay. anything prawn-like. I think it should be reclaimed. I think that ordinary fans should just start bringing prawn sandwiches. I think if it was crayfish, it'd be different. Because you could have said lobster. I mean, lobster is yeah, right lobster's there. Is yeah. right lobster's next to prawns much. on the side. Lobster's too, too much because Roy respects lobster. I think that is a dish that a man in, you know... Something that mm. scuttles around you don't want to touch. No, no, but I think... Ordering lobster is one thing. You Eating go out it with you your bare hands. Yeah, you you break it apart. Yeah, it's a proper dish. Yeah, Whereas not your like prawn, sandwich, prawn sandwiches. What's that for? Tom, what do they say in other countries? So I've got a couple of examples of 
prawn sandwich adjacent vocabularies. Okay. This is food-related metaphors used to talk disparagingly about fans in other countries, but not mm. necessarily about corporate fans. Right. So in the Netherlands, kaaskijkers, which means cheese watchers, mm. this was coined by Co Adrianza when he was the coach of AZ Alkmaar. And Alkmaar is uh, a seat of Dutch cheese production. Um, and he felt that the AZ fans weren't making enough of an effort to get behind the team. And he described them as cheese watchers. Cheese um, watchers? The idea being that as part of the cheese production process, some people have to keep an eye on the cheese, see how quickly it's ripening, mm. and... In his eyes, that was about as much as the the fans in question were bringing to right. the support of their club. I mean, outside of football as well, there's the idea that what you eat is in some way indicative of your your, your moral foundations. Mm. The, the whole business that the Tories keep talking about people eating avocados. And I think asparagus as well is a morally suspect. Uh, tofu, thing to tofu, tofu. Yeah, mung yeah. beans. Munching, you have to munch tofu. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then so speaking of Sophie the other night, speaking of munching, on Monday actually. Sorry, uh, another one from Spain. Uh, yeah. Come pipas, Monchi, that meaning, would be, meaning seed eater. Of course, you go to watch football uh, yeah. in Spain. Get right. your bag of sunflower seeds, and right. if you feel that you know a group of fans aren't making enough of an effort to get behind the team, you might dismissively refer to them as a bunch of seed eaters. How do you come to the stadium? Come pipas. Very nice. And now you're armed. Next time you're you're watching, you know. A La Liga game mm. and your fellow fans aren't making enough noise you know exactly how to get into them well our friend Duncan here was watching a La Liga team on Wednesday munching his pippers mm. and that kind of what were you eating what did you consume at the Emirates apart um, from the thrilling Arsenal performance I had some round trees fruit gums oh nice yeah. old school yeah, well, yeah. Old school. so a 2-0 victory for Arsenal yes very comfortable Almost too comfortable. I mean, uh, Sevilla didn't really have a shot till the till injury time, and he had offered nothing really. Um, I thought it was quite interesting. Trossard looked much better playing centrally compared to when he's been out on the left. So they played him up the middle. Yeah, although Havertz was also joining him in a kind of four-two-four a lot of the time. The opening goal was really good. I mean, Jorginho played a great pass through to Saka, uh, who crossed it for for Trossard. And I thought it was quite interesting because obviously go back to the start of this year, and there was a lot of upset from Arsenal fans that they only were able to sign Trossard and Jorginho in the, in the window. and Look at them now. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. Some, you know, Havertz is obviously improving a bit as well and it, sometimes it takes a bit of time. Yeah, he played pretty well. Missed that huge chance for a header. Back yeah, that was a bad header, but the second half he had a, one from outside the box which curled just wide, which was good. But yeah, Arsenal looked good. I mean, the, the only negative from the game would have been there was a double substitution late on with Trossard and uh, Martinelli going off and a few Arsenal fans wanted Saka to go off as well, um, you know, for a rest. Uh, and then within literally 60 seconds of the of the happening of the substitution, he, he got injured and couldn't continue. And so, how serious is that? I mean, it was that classic Saka injury of like a kick on the ankle and, you know, we've seen him come back from that. You imagine... With a bu- home to Burnley at the weekend, you know, not the not the toughest fixture, and then an international break that he might do what happened last time and and be at, injured for that and miss miss England's games. I see. Burnley arriving this weekend, uh, four defeats in a row. The Clarets have suffered the lowest scorers in the Premier League with just eight goals from eleven matches. Anything else from Arsenal Seville? I was going to say the the Jorginho pass for the opening goal. For me, that is one of if not the best kinds of pass mm. in football, the pass from central midfield in behind a stationary yeah. fullback to a wide player coming onto the ball at pace. 
one of those games yeah. where suddenly you know you break through your opponent's. Um, I was going to make a chess reference, but I couldn't remember the name of any of the pieces momentarily. What are they called? The, the pawns. pawns. The pawns. You scatter the pawns, prawns. and you're in yeah, at the, the, the pawn prawns. Pawn brigade. That's it. <laughs> the pawn sandwich. Prawn, Careful with prawns that one. on the yeah, brain. Yeah. No, you're right. And it was um, there was an audible like ooh when that pass yeah. was made because they it was a brilliant. And I think they put down their seeds. Yeah, Georgina was the captain as he has been recently, and he's he was really good, you know. And it's a bit of a bit of a renaissance for him, and it's it's quite nice to see. Lovely stuff. Uh, also this weekend, Bournemouth host Newcastle. That's Saturday at five thirty. We'll see uh, Eddie Howe and Callum Wilson heading back to the Vitality Stadium. It's two years actually this weekend since the Magpies appointed Eddie Howe. Although, that, sorry, just on Callum Wilson, I think he's a doubt, isn't it? Is he? Yes, he came off at half time oh, against Dortmund. Sadly for him. Okay. Hamstring sandwich brigade. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Howe coming in two years ago to Newcastle. They were nineteenth in the table back then. And worth pointing out that eight of the players involved in Howe's first game in charge also featured in the win over Arsenal last weekend. So remarkable the extent to which he's improved the players that were already there. Yeah, and also, I mean, inevitably, when the Saudis arrived at Newcastle, all of the the headlines were about which players they might sign because, mm. you know, football as an industry is obsessed with this idea that the only way to improve teams is to just buy new players. And I think what Howe has, has done, in tandem with some very intelligent, targeted recruitment, is shown if you're a good coach, you can make the players you have better. And that's what very good coaches do. This midweek, he fielded a side with eight English players away at Dortmund. The first time that has happened in a Champions League match for 26 years. Maybe that years. was the problem. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, just on that, both games, I do think, you know, it's been an incredible improvement by Newcastle in two years, but it's arguable it's been a little bit too fast. They've got to the Champions League too early, and I think the, the size of their squad and the experience of their squad is now is being shown up, you know, trying to stretch themselves across three competitions. So they have got a slightly mad amount of injuries that mm-hmm. went all like in the same positions. But Harvey the way Barnes, they play, so they're going to pick Wilson. up. Yeah, they're going to pick up injuries, and I don't think they factored in, you know, a Champions mm. League group stage. Newcastle may have got to the Champions League too early. Uh, Man United could be exiting it too early, as we've heard. They, in the meantime, this weekend, will be hosting Luton. Do you know when Luton's only ever victory away to Man United occurred? Um, Go 18s. 1897. It is 1897. Back when United were known as Newton Heath and played in green and gold. So this was actually Newton versus Luton back then. Do you reckon yeah. anyone in 1897 ate a prawn sandwich? <laughs> or had? Probably rather cut off their own I arms. Doubt it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't you dredge any many sandwiches. prawns out of the ship canal in 1897. No, and also the sandwich was a relatively new concept even in... Mm. It's an 18th century. 18th century. So, yeah, 100 years or so. But hadn't reached the level of Pret sophistication that Mm. we currently Mm. are used to. Uh, Man United, uh, becoming Man United in 1902. Their record this season is, well, one of the worst ones in their history. Uh, 17 games played, 1-8, lost 9. Yeah, they got... I mean, it's the most... Defeats have had in the first 17 games since the year they got relegated from the first division, which is bad. But then Ten Hag can reach 30 wins in his 50th game in this game, which is good. Hmm. So, they, I mean, they basically what you're saying, Douglas, is that stats are fundamentally meaningless. <laughs> no, no, it means that last year they were good and he built up the number of the, the win percentage there. And this year, not so good. They haven't drawn a game. They're, they're Jekyll hmm. and Hyde. Not Man City drawn a game, actually. So. 
All right. It's a Manchester thing. Okay. Crystal Palace are taking on Everton. Pretty sure they have drawn games. Uh, Selhurst Park, by the way, is the least goalie ground in the division this season. They've actually had uh, two nil-nil draws there already. They've only been three in the entire season in the Premier League. Two at Selhurst Park. Aston Villa, Sunday 2 o'clock, will be taking on Fulham. Villa are one of the sides involved in the Thursday night action conference and uh, in Villa's case in Europa League for others. Brighton, for example, in the just, Europa sorry, League. I was just going to say, mm. I mean, Villa, who were absolutely flying mm. um, and then very unexpectedly lost at Forest last they weekend. Did. Um, which I don't think anyone really saw coming. No. A so Brighton? That's, that's, I mean, that's contributed absolutely nothing. But I've, I've said <laughs> it. Haiti, I've said nothing. it now. Brighton uh, are hosting Sheffield United Sunday at 2 o'clock and they have a Thursday night game away in Amsterdam against Ajax who were looking rubs but all of a sudden have won two straight and leapt out of the relegation zone and could be a real menace to the slightly struggling Seagulls we shall see West Ham on Thursday night host Olympiacos who beat them in Greece on match day three and they follow that up with a visit from Tom in form Nottingham Forest. This is the two o'clock game that will be on the TV. And Nottingham Forest may be in form with their one win streak. Hammers not so much. Three Premier League defeats in a row. Ooh. Any thoughts there? Will they get things back on track here, etc.? I mean, Forest are a much more redoubtable prospect at home. They don't travel quite so well. So, yes, I wouldn't have thought that West Ham will be and duly worried. But then having said that, they lost at home to Everton in their most recent home games. And I guess that, you know, teams have now figured out with West Ham that if you don't enable them to counter-attack, they very often struggle. Um, and I can't imagine that, you know, Forest are going to be sort of throwing everything at them and, and leaving huge gaps in behind. Um, so yeah, it could be a fiddly one. Nice. All right. Well, here's hoping we just get a nice... Normal weekend of Premier League action. No, 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 no. We don't. More madness? Yeah, more madness. Also, it's just before an international break, so we've got two weeks to get to grips with the madness. You need to build some narrative up that people can go on about for a few days. Hashtag too much narrative. I want to see see a referee eating a prawn sandwich during a game. Causing outrage. Who knows, Duncan? Maybe you will. In this mad spectacle we call the Premier League. We'll be back Sunday evening to discuss what has taken place on the Totally Football Show. Do join us for that. Rafi will be back next Tuesday for more Euro fun. Yes. Among the delights we'll be discussing the Rome Derby where, (laughs) look at this, Sarri and Mourinho have been having pops at each other (laughs) before the game. Lovely stuff. Uh, Excellent. For now, that's it. So many thanks to Rafa, to Tom, to Duncan to Charlie and Rachel in the booth and you listener. Have a great weekend and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.